Hello and welcome to another episode of the Back Check the Hockey History Podcast. My name is Riley. Over there is Bill. Hey, how you doing? Good. How about you? I'm doing great, thanks. And today we have a um, at least partially Red Wings Detroit episode that for the last third will have nothing whatsoever to do with uh, with either the Red Wings or Detroit. But um, that's just a little bit like our, our previous episode focusing on L.A. and the Kings. There weren't old timers of the particular vintage we're looking at didn't really play in Detroit at the time. Yeah. Um, so uh, we are going to start. Our eligible player is Henrik Zetterberg and our uh, recently, relatively recently inducted player is Steve Eiserman. And then finally, our old timer is Tommy Smith, a player who I had never heard of, but it seems like really, really should have heard of. So uh, first up, we have uh, Henrik Zetterberg, who played uh, until very recently. He played from 2002 to 2018, and he um, that's 15 seasons, all of which were quality by our definition. 300 and so goals, 600 assists, 900 points in a thousand, almost 1,100 games, plus 160. About 20 minutes, average ice time, 19 and a half minutes. Um, so one of these careers that, like, we're, I think the more of these more recent guys we do, the more this is going to happen, where you have guys who aren't quite point, pointing in players played you know a chunk of their career um in the like you know dead puck era at least the the beginning the end of the dead puck era and then transition to a better scoring era but still like if you look at the the total numbers pale in comparison to the guys from the the 80s yeah oh yeah absolutely because you know zetterberg was among the better offensive players of his era and he's well below a point per game yeah um, for his yeah, career. he almost hit a he almost hit a thousand points, and I think that's sort of like going to start to become sort of a new barrier of like, did you hit yeah. a thousand points? Then you were fantastic, because um, mm. it just doesn't happen a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm you know I, I instantly think of Datsuk when I think of Zetterberg, yeah. and it's same thing with him, right? He he yeah. was not a, he didn't hit a thousand either, and you know he had a bunch of seasons where he was one of the best few offensive players in the league. Yeah. Um. So first up, we are going to talk about his draft. He. Much like Datsuk, he was uh, famously drafted extremely late um, in the 1999 NHL entry draft. Um, he was drafted 210th overall, which, let me check, is far from last because of the t- uh, there were nine rounds at the time. So there's 272 players in that draft, but he's still drafted uh, near, the, near the end of the seventh round. Uh, funnily enough... You know who was drafted two spots after him? Who is? Radim Verbata. Oh, really? Wow. Who played in almost as many games as Zetterberg did over the course of his career. Those scored way fewer points. but like, So they somehow they got two players who played in over 1,000 games from the bottom of the seventh round. Man. And right in the middle, the Maple Leafs drafted nobody <laughs> between those two. Zetterberg, random guy, drafted the Leafs. Verbata. Wow. That's annoying. <laughs> I'd never looked at that before, so like that was new to me. That was uh so uh so this is the Sedin draft. It is, yeah, and it's it's a pretty notorious draft for being one of the worst drafts ever in yeah. terms of what came out of it, you know, like um and it it a lot of the guys, everybody thought they were gonna be very, very good. Um, you know, it looked like a draft word, but I think the top end talent 
I think that's why some of those picks were flipped around so easily. Um, Cause Vancouver traded Brian McCabe for uh, Toronto's pick near the top. And yeah. then that's how they ended up getting both Sedins. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting, an interesting thing that they ended up doing at the top of the draft. Um, but people really didn't think beyond Patrick Steffen and the two Sedins, like that there was any sort of top end talent there. So yeah, we're moved more easily. And, uh, you know, a lot of the players, you know, you got some solid ones, but like Hall of Famers, not very many, really. I mean, well, going going by points, there are only two players with a thousand, and those are the Sedins. Wow. And there are only um, six with 500, and they are the Sedins, Zetterberg, Verbata, Havlat, and Erat. Man. And that's it, because Tim Connolly couldn't make it to 500 points somehow. Yeah, well, he was he was so injured. That no, I know, I know. Yeah. And Mike Mike Connery as well, actually. Uh, and we have only four players with over a thousand games, and those are the guys we've already mentioned: Sadine, Zetterberg, Verbala. Wow. Um, however, Ryan Miller was also in the draft, and Craig Anderson. Okay. So, so, so goalie-wise, it was uh, it wasn't terrible, mind you. Ryan Miller was one thirty-eighth, and Craig Anderson was seventy-seventh. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's on the whole, it's a really bad one. Um, Especially if you look at the, like, if you were to average out the, like, the place of the top five players, like, the Sedins are drafted, obviously, 2-3, famously, and then it's Zetterberg and Verbata at 2-10 and 2-12, and then it's Havlat at 26. Wow. And then it's Arad at 191. Man, a lot. It's batshit crazy, actually, yeah. how wrong. Like you said, the, there was, you know, the one consensus was there wasn't a lot of high-end talent. Yeah. Um, and it, I guess... It's funny we're talking about this right now because I was actually uh, reading an article this afternoon about the uh, the Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, draft in the NBA and and how wrong it ended up being. Uh, and it was the same, but it was the same thing. They just didn't like nobody knew he was a not a known commodity. He was an 18 year old in Greece who didn't even have status in Greece and was playing in a high school basketball league. So you know it was completely potential on his part. But the top the top talent everyone. Everyone thought there were like six guys who were like maybe going to be starters in the NBA, and that was it. And no one could agree on. And weirdly, the guy who went number one in that draft, who is now out of the league, um, he uh, he wasn't even considered that part of that group. The the Cavaliers just went insane and drafted some guy who like they didn't really know enough about. But anyway, uh, it was just it's funny because there's a real similarity. At least in this draft, there are actual stars in the top three. Yeah. But like in that one, there was like nothing, and and a, they it was a redraft, and they had like the guy who was drafted fifteenth overall, number one, and number two guy was drafted like tenth or something. It was just all over the place. And this one, I mean, be similar, right? It would be Sadines and Zetterberg would be one, two, three, probably, or yeah. in some in some order, depending on your preference. It's um. I'm I'm just reading a little more about it here. It's obviously just from Wikipedia, but it says that uh, only only 16 out of 28 first round picks in '99 have played 82 NHL games. Wow. So, yeah, that's <laughs> not good. Uh, yeah, actually, if you sort by draft like by draft pick number, yeah. there's like a couple of blank lines, and there's one guy with four games, and there's there's one guy with three games, and another What's one with it? one. Bad. Said that if you use that same quantifier that players have played 82 NHL games, sort of meaning like a full season, yeah. Um, 
the 98 draft had 27 out of 20, uh, sorry, 23 out of 27 players drafted in the first round. Yeah. And the year 2000 was 21 out of 30. Yeah. So, <laughs> big um, difference. Yeah. It's a pretty big difference. It's not, it's yeah. not a great draft. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I think they said 15, 15 years after the draft, only Barrett Jackman and Martin Havlat were still active in addition to the Sedins. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not good. That's well, really not good. So another thing that's uh, interesting about it is, I mean, at least, so this is right. Like this is one of the, this draft is right, right at the peak of my attention to the sport. Like, yeah. like right around, like when these guys were coming into the league a couple years after being drafted is when I was like watching like every game I could. And so to me, when I look at the names, I feel like it's a better draft than it is. Because I recognize, like, everybody. If I sort by games played, I recognize, like, so many players. And then I'm like, did Garnet Exelby only play 400 games? Like, what? <laughs> and why should I even know who that is, right? He was he was on the least briefly. But um, Oleg Saprikin. You know Oleg Saprikin only played 325 games? Really? Wow, I, re- I remember that name quite well. Well, exactly. That's so. I mean, but that for me, it's it's completely like it's the bias of the. It's not recency bias necessarily because it's a while ago, but like it's the like my attention bias almost like because yeah. this is when I was like I know all these guys because I was watching the league like obsessively at the time, and uh, I'm just surprised that like I I see so many guys on here who I'm like I can't believe their career was only like you know. Like Jeff Finger didn't even play 200 games, which is great that we offered him a four-year contract. <laughs> Somehow anyway. always comes up. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, so era-wise, uh, Zetterberg, um, we between 2002 and 2018 um, of the players who played in at least a thousand and sixty-six games, which is 13 full seasons, Zetterberg is basically a top four top five uh, offensive player. Actually, it really depends on how you categorize it. By goals, he's top five. By assists, he's top three. By points, he's top four. By point shares, he's top five. So he's one of the five best offensive players in that era, along with the Sedins, Datsuk, and I I, I want to say, like, I don't know. The game The game qualifier would eliminate Crosby because there's no way you play that many games Yeah. by 2018. But I guess Ovechkin would be the fifth. Or or no, Thornton. I'm an idiot. Thornton. Oh, okay, Thornton. yeah. Thornton would be number five, because, uh, or the number one, probably, um, because uh, of the time span, 2002-2018. Um, anyway, so he's one of the top five offensive players in the league, uh, or top four, really, um, for, uh, for that period. Uh, his 82-game average is 73 points in 82 games. Like I said, not quite a point per game, but plus 12. And he has a substantially better three-year peak from 2005 to 2008. His 82-game average was 93 points. So that's 20 points higher than his career, which is some kind of – that's a really big difference. And plus 32. So when he was – you know, those teams – that's also like, you know, peak Red Wings, right? Yeah. Uh, the Red Wings were very, very good at that point. Um and uh, he, of course, would go on to win a, a major award right after that. Um, his possession stats, which we have for the second half of his career-ish, are positive. 
uh, very, very positive, 55% Corsi, uh, almost 55% Fenwick, and also positive relative to the Red Wings, who were very good at that regardless. But, I mean, he's he's not quite Datsuk on the possession side, but he's almost Datsuk, right? Datsuk was more like 56%, I think. But, like, yeah. also, like, 55% for your career is... It's very, very good. It's elite. Absolutely, yeah. Um, playoffs, he is is fairly similar playoff numbers. 120 point, 20 points in 137 games, plus 41. So very strong numbers for the era in there. Yeah. Um, if you adjust for era, it helps him tremendously, and it turns him into essentially a point-per-game player. He becomes uh, his 82-game average adjusting for era is 81 points in 82 games. Nice. So he is, you know, I mean, had he played in the 80s, we can expect. I'm sorry. I don't know what noise that made, but my mic just (laughs) fell off somehow. It made some noise. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) That was bizarre. It just, like, it just decided to, I don't, it just tumbled. Um, Okay. Anyway, uh, Zetterberg uh, obviously wasn't traded which is why we're talking about him today, along with another Red Wings lifer. So he uh, he won the Conn Smythe, of course, in, in 2008. Um, and uh, he had a pretty great playoff. 27 points in 22 games in 2008 is, is fine, but, like, 30 is sort of that, like, magic number a little bit in the in the sense that very few players have hit 30 over the year, uh, in, the, in the last 20-something years. So he didn't quite get there, but I mean, he was he was also playing twenty two and a half minutes per game, which is a lot for a forward. That is a lot. <laughs> um, and he, he actually led the playoffs in shots that year, which is I don't know why I find that surprising, but I find it surprising. Um, he was also top five in Selkie voting twice, and he came in second in Calder voting his first year in the league. Uh, weirdly, he was only. Uh, point shares only has him as a top five offensive player once, and yeah, that's the same year he uh, he won the Smythe. So that's the year he scored forty goals, because yeah. he only scored forty in one year. Yeah. Um, but he he was uh, yeah he basically had one. So so point shares is heavily weighted towards goals. So people who are more passers like Zetterberg was, um, you know it, it doesn't treat them as well. Like, mm-hmm. remember when we did the Sedins and Daniel had way more career point shares than Henrik did? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, he was only ever top five in goals once, which is probably why he's only considered a top five offensive player by point shares once, whereas he was uh, he was top ten in assists four times. and um, You know, he was much more frequently, like, a, a semi-elite passer than he was a semi-elite goal scorer or elite goal scorer. Um, so, yeah, he scored 40 goals once. He put up 90 points once. He was somehow only a second-team All-Star once, which is one of those things, I think, that it's, like, it's the era. Like, we were talking about with Dave Taylor a little bit. Yeah. And and Robitaille, it's sort of the it's the era and the position. And also, because he's kept switching from center to the left wing, I'm sure people couldn't figure out what position he played when they were voting. Um, he also has uh, King Clancy, which we don't really care about, but I mention it. And then a bunch of a bunch of weekly three stars, which is interesting, more so than a lot of the players we talked about. But I guess that's just because of the area he played in. 
but he uh, he won the gold puck in the um, SHL uh, or whatever we're calling it these days uh, MVP. Okay, yeah. And he also won the Rookie of the Year the previous year. So he was before he came to the NHL, after he was drafted, so low down, but uh, before he came to the NHL, he was a very good player in the SHL or the Swedish Elite League, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, winning the Rookie of the Year and then next year winning the MVP. And then, and then coming, like, immediately thereafter coming to the... Uh, you got to think that once he won the MVP, everybody who didn't draft him was like, even before he joined the NHL, we're like, damn yeah. it. Yeah, we missed. Detroit nailed it again. They Detroit's did it again. For those late round picks. Yeah, they did it again with their stupid overseas scouts. Yep. Um, so, of course, he won an, uh, Stanley Cup because, you know, you have to, you generally have to win a Stanley Cup to win a Consumite. It's been a long time since, it's been 30, over 30 years since someone won the Consmith on the opposing team. Really? I think so. Right? Uh, like, uh, no, it was uh, J.S. Jaguar. Back in 2000. Oh, yeah. Sorry. My fault. So 15 years. Forgot, it, forgot years. about Jiggy. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I did. I was thinking of um, Hextall. Oh, yeah, of course. Who was yeah. the pr- person to do it before? She, the last person before Jaguar, I think. I think so, yeah. Um. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. so uh, Zetterberg won a Stanley Cup. He also was the best forward on uh, the Red Wings the next season, at least by ice time um and he was on another uh conference finalist in 2007 and then after that the red wings got older and were less good um he also uh won a olympic gold medal um in 2006 and uh i believe they also won the world championship yeah they're that they're the that was the really crazy swedish team right that won a world uh both an olympic and a Olympic champion and a world champion in the same calendar year, which had never, I believe had never been done before or, or something like that. It was very rare. It's very rare. Anyway. Um, He was, he was of course not a star on either of those teams because they had, uh, they had Naslin, they had Sundin, they had Alfredson, they had Forsberg. Yeah. So he was, he was still like by points, he was still a top six forward, but he was, you know, supporting role to those guys um at the time but still and the Sedins as, as well but uh i mean the Sedins were young were younger yeah they, they didn't really hit their stride till about 2008 mm. um he so he also won two uh he also oh he was on a an olympic runner-up in 2014 but he was hurt and he won two bronze uh medals at the world championships at world championships as well in 2001 and 2002. And he also won a European junior championship. So a lot of international success in addition to the Stanley cup. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think more than likely or, or probably Datsuk has the better hardware, right? Like, he's got the Selkies. Even though Zetterberg has the Consmith, Datsuk has multiple Selkies, right? Yeah. But the difference, the thing that always, like, I and I got to say, before I say this, I am a Datsuk. Like, Datsuk was, like, one of my favorite players of all time. Um, when he was in the league, I, I was a huge, huge fan. 
And so I'm very much on the Datsuk over Zetterberg bandwagon, except the playoff stats. Zetterberg is like the better playoff performer when it mattered, hmm. uh, at least points wise anyway. And and that might have been because Datsuk was busy trying to shut down the opposing team's top line. But they often played on the same line together. Um, you know, they double them up sometimes. And I think I think Datsuk's a no-debtor. So I think Datsuk is a no-debtor, but I, I look at Zetterberg and I, I know Zetterberg's got the better playoff numbers. And I think, well, w- wait a minute. That means Zetterberg should be in too, right? Yeah, I I'm I'm sort of on the fence and I'm I've been thinking about it the whole time that you've been going through his stats and it's like they're good stats. They're even very good stats. Yeah. Did, did I ever think he was one of the 5 to 10 best players in the league? Maybe on the bubble, but it, it, his career numbers are really solid. He's you know, he's in the ballpark of sort of what the Sedins were able to do. He won his cup. Um successful internationally there's no denying he was a he was a very good player on a very important team that i mean if if it's not for flurry's miracle save and for osgood playing like crap in game seven they probably win two cups yeah uh, and then he's I, probably yeah. a lot because a lot of people vote based on cups right but yeah um well and he, he probably would have won the cons again you would think right yeah and, so. and two and back-to-back cons there's no way he's not getting in the hall of fame with that right exactly yeah i i, I don't know I, like it's I think with the way the hall is constructed, and we, we, we always sort of do this, and I'm sure some people feel like it's a cop-out, but the way that the hall is constructed now, um, I, I would just barely put him in. I think if it were, you know, the ideal hall that we sort of have come up with where it's like, if you weren't elite and very clearly the best at whatever it is that you do, whether you're a goal scorer, a passer, a, a defensive defenseman, whatever it was, if you're not clearly head and shoulders the best one in the league, you're probably not getting in. You know, yeah. like if you're if you're not a top five player in the league, you have no business in I think our perfect Hall of Fame. But the way it's constructed now, if we're gonna put in someone like this, you know, we're, I think we both voted um, pretty convincingly for the Sedins. Yeah. I think that I think you have to considering Zetterberg was um, better defensively. I think you have to put Zetterberg in, right? Like, yes, most people will point to Datsuk as being the guy on that team, but uh, but I think you know, given Zetterberg's playoff performance um his reliability his ability to pretty much do everything on the ice i i I think he gets the nod for sure yeah like i i I get what you're saying about being on the fence because like especially when you look at the regular season numbers even though he was you know like i said he was fourth in that in that arbitrary period he's fourth in points Mm -hmm. they don't always like there's there's a few years where he was you know really uh, dominant, but there's plenty of years where, first of all, he he was hurt a lot, right? Weirdly, yes. he had his only his two full seasons came at the tail end of his career, yeah, which is super weird. And when he was having like at least one of those seasons was an off season, but he had like you know seasons right around when the when Detroit was winning those cups, you know, he was fairly dominant, especially in the playoffs where he scored like fifty, I don't know, fifty one points in in fifty five games. Um, you know, all uh, and two trips to the finals. You know, there's not a lot of other guys who can say that. Um, I think I have the number right, 51. Yeah, 51. Um, anyway, 
but then there's other seasons you look at. If you look at the individual seasons, you know, so many where he's injured, and then other seasons where, you know, 69 points in 82 games, it's a little lot less impressive than the 92 and 75. There's a little bit of inconsistency season to season in the regular season. Uh, yeah, it, and I don't know, but he was always playing a lot of, I, uh, you know, he was always playing a lot, and I think some of that is just because he he had to. You know, between him and Zetterberg, especially once uh, once Iserman and 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 later when Lidstrom was retiring and stuff like that, right? They yeah. they were relying on those guys because like the fabled uh, Red Wing thing started to crack a little bit um, once some of those guys started to retire, right? They they the playoff success started to dwindle, and uh, um, you know, obviously they haven't been in the playoffs in a few years now. Um, and they were, they had a lot less success after 2010 or so. Um, I don't know. I, I can, I can see both sides. I think just because he, he ended up being on the whole, uh, especially when it mattered a better playoff performer offensively than Datsuk. I think that sort of convinces me, but it, without that con Smythe, I would, I would be leaning more towards no. Ah, interesting. I thought I was gonna be the uh, I thought I was gonna be the party pooper on this one. Yeah, yeah. With my on the fence, I'm not sure. You know, I I think with some of the guys who were in there, I'd probably just barely push him in. But it's not a strong yes for me at all. It's like a yeah. it's like a I guess. <laughs> you know. Well, think about Datsu. Yeah, D- yeah, Datsu didn't win the Consumai thing. Yeah, he doesn't have as impressive numbers over those two over that 08, 09 run. But he also almost scored 100 points two years in a row. You know, yeah. Zetterberg never did that. And, and you know, he was more consistent. Like, he had those three 90-point seasons where he also won the Selkie. Like, he just, he has more, both, like, both ends, there's there's more you can point to, right? And, Absolutely. yeah, and it's, it's, it's also weird that, like, I don't know, I think you could argue that maybe Zetterberg should have won a Selkie at some point. But the thing is, he was losing out to his teammate all the time. Yeah. When he was like, and then by the time he, you know, Datsuk was gone, Zetterberg was a bit of a shell of his former self. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely was not expecting to be on the fence. Mm-hmm. I thought I was coming in thinking like, for sure. And now yeah. I'm like, you know, I could be talked out of it. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think that like, I think the standard has been set. Uh, I think, as we've talked about, as you said, many, many times, I think he easily has a case based on who's in already. But in a perfect world, I'm not sure I would be convinced, especially, you know, like you said, a few bounces go the other way in 2009, and I probably would be completely on board with it. But that's not what happened, and I don't know. I'm a little, I'm I'm much more ambivalent than I thought I would be. Uh, I, I was a little surprised by how I, um, I I thought I was gonna have him in as well, and then the the numbers didn't overwhelm me, and I'm like, but it, I I think he's gonna get in. Like I think he's I do too. Yeah, I think he's he's in. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that he would have my vote, but again, there's a lot of players who are in that I wouldn't have voted for, so I think that sort of factors in. Um, Um, shall we move on to uh, someone who's a little we're probably less ambiguous about? Spoiler. Yes. Let's uh, yeah, let's let's discuss this 
maybe gets in guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this terrible, terrible career in which he yeah. he scored seventeen hundred points. <laughs> um so Iserin, uh the most famous Red Wing of all time, presumably though Lidstrom, obviously. Oh Gordy Howe, Jesus yeah. Christ. Now I'm gonna get attacked <laughs> because I said that. You're, deservedly, you're, actually, deservedly. Yes. You know, I should be ashamed of, of saying more famous than Gordie Howe. But yes, for, well, for yeah. our generation, anyway, yeah. probably more famous. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's, he's Mr. Red Wing for our generation. But, yeah. You know, it's 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 Gordie Howe, then it's Iserman, and then I would argue that it's Lindstrom after that. Yeah. Um, and then maybe Datsuk fourth. But, again, there's a lot of great old-timers, too, for um, for uh, for the Red Wings that were yeah. probably, you know. Del Vecchio, Reg Kelly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sid Abel, those books. Well, you're, are you're saying that you're actually very lucky that uh, Mr. Mr. Gordy Howe has passed on because he probably would elbowed you himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How am I not the most famous Red Wing? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so Eisenman played for 22 seasons, which is a hell of a long time. And somehow, by by points per game, by our quality metric, 21 of them were quality. Only one was bad, and that would have been the, the last one. I believe. Oh, no. Sorry. My mistake. Sorry. The third last one, because he had one season where he played 16 games. Yeah. Um, but otherwise was still producing when he retired at 40, just 40. Um, he scored nearly 700 goals, which is ninth all time. He scored over a thousand assists, which is ninth all time and 1755 points, which is seventh all time. That's 1500 games worth uh, 20th all time. And when he retired, it was 10th. So a lot more people have played in 1500 games since he retired plus 184. He is also 25th all time in point shares. And he was 11th all time in point shares as his retirement. So that makes sense because like the league, the league is, uh, you know, there's a lot more uh, because of the the 82 game season. There's just been more people rank wrapping uh, um, the words escaping me, piling on the point shares uh, si- since then. But yeah, he's now 25th, but he was alone with his retirement. He also, for the second half of his career, he averaged 19 minutes on ice, which is a lot given that not even the second half, the last seven years. The one third of his career, the last third of his career is still averaging 19 minutes. Wow. Now, and that's with his final season playing 13 minutes a game. Jeez. So he was playing, you know, in his late, in his mid thirties, he was still playing 20, 21, 22 minutes a game. He is 16th all time in points per game. He is also eighth all time in offensive point shares. And as retirement, he was fifth. Wow. Which, you know, as we've talked about many times, point shares are cumulative. Yeah. So it doesn't mean what it sounds like. It doesn't mean he's the fifth best offensive player ever. It just means he's the fifth best offensive player to play for a long time. So. Um, are we going to discuss his draft here? We are. I'm just, I was just opening it up. Okay. Uh, he was drafted. I've already got it open. It's a really good draft here. Yeah, he was drafted fourth overall. Um, and he is by far the points leader. But. Yes, as you said, Bill, there's a bunch of famous players in it. Yeah. As well as goalies as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So he's, so Eisenman is fourth. Pat LaFontaine is the only other player with 1,000 points. Uh, was drafted third, but there's a bunch of other, unlike the last draft we talked about, there's like 
17 players with 500 points instead of six. Yeah. It's uh, it's it, it's a pretty good draft class, you know. The uh, two, two Hall of Famers went three and four. So yeah. It's got to leave the the North Stars and the Whalers kind of kicking themselves a little bit. They drafted Brian Lawton and Sylvain Turgeon respectively. Uh, Turgeon was a lot better than Lawton was. Yes, he was. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's weird because a lot of people thought. I I I have a feeling. You know, the fact that he was American probably had a lot with them wanting to take him in Minnesota, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, the uh, just with how good Lafontaine and uh, oh, Lafontaine was American too, but he played in the queue. So yeah. uh, that's why a lot of a lot of people thought he was French Canadian for a while because you know the name Lafontaine. Yeah, yeah. What? Well, yeah. But, uh, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, he was an American, um, and um, and then Tom Barrasso, which I don't know how high of a goalie pick that was, but um, fifth is really high. Fifth is really high for a goalie uh, yeah. until. Till we got into that sort of craziness with uh, Rick DiPietro going first and Flurry going first, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and now nobody even thinks about taking one in the first round unless they think he's going to be like the next Carey Price, right? Yeah. Um, so Carey uh, Price was drafted fifth, right? He was, yeah, yeah. It's it's very very high for a goalie. The kid uh, this year, Spencer Knight, that a lot of people think is going to be a, like a really good goalie. He went like thirteenth, and that was like, whoa, that's the highest one since uh, since I think uh, Jack Campbell. Um, when he was, you know, stealing gold medals for the Americans, playing out of his mind. And, yeah, I forgot and, about that guy. Yeah. Well, he's he's playing now for uh, the LA Kings. He's kind of oh. bounced back and started to become the goalie that, or at least you know, at least now he's a serviceable NHL goalie. Just took, go, goalies are voodoo, man. You never know what's going to happen yeah. with him, right? So speaking <laughs> of goalies, yeah, can you uh, in the version of the draft you're looking at, can you sort the draft by save percentage? Uh, I cannot. No. Okay, so let me tell you something. There is a 22-point difference between the the first and second goalie in terms of save percentage wow. in this draft, and that 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 would be Hasek, uh, <laughs> who he's he's at 9.22, and then there's an Alain Raymond who played uh, one game who's at 900, and then everybody else is below 900. Jeez, even Barrasso? Yeah, but that's because par- Barrasso played so much in the 80s, right? That's true. Yeah. Like, Hasek was a... I didn't know he was drafted so early. I would have assumed it was way later Yeah, that he was drafted. Like, he didn't... When did he come over? It, was, it wasn't... Uh, oh, he was... He it was, was it was eight years later. Over. Yeah, he came over with Chicago and played in that cup final that they lost to uh, Pittsburgh yeah. in four straight. And he came in and people were like, wow, look at these saves! Because yeah. he's playing the Penguins and they were just all over everything, right? Like, um, But he must have, like... Because of communism, maybe. Maybe, it took him, yeah. took him a while to come because, you know, he was drafted eight years before his debut. Yeah. Yeah, I think it just... Uh, and goalies often take a very long time to develop as well. Yeah, so. yeah but Barrasso was in the league much sooner than... Oh, Hasselis. yeah. He was an American. And Asenza as well, and, and Pupa. Yeah. Bester. Pupa <laughs> Yeah. Love that. Is Frank uh, Petrangelo related to... Alex? Alex? No, I don't believe he is. But it doesn't uh, look like he is. Okay. No, it's a, yeah, it's a, that's that's where I first heard that name. That uh, that name, I was like, that's the most Italian sounding name I've ever heard of in the NHL. Yeah. Um, so there's nine forwards with a thousand games in this draft. Yeah, if you look at the quality of the forwards just in the top ten, um, 
you know, you end up with, uh, after Lawton, you end up with LaFontaine, Steve Iserman, John McLean, yeah. um, Russ Cornell, and then uh, Cam Neely, another yeah. Hall of Famer. Yeah. Drafted by Vancouver, and then we traded him away before he was great, uh, which is usually what we do. Dave Gagne was in there. Yeah, um, the 12th, yeah. Yeah, and there are a lot of good players in this draft. And, like, uh, you know, you got Jeff Bukaboom, uh, obviously not a forward, but he's uh, he's in the first round. So is Gerald Diddick. Dan uh, Quinn. Dallas. Um, Asatikinen in, in, uh, in round player. three, I think. Yeah. Peter Zezel. Yeah. Peter Klima. Uh, Claude Lemieux in the second round. Yeah. Uh, there are some Pelle Eklund? really strong draft. Pelle Eklund, oh man. Christian Rutu? Sergey Makarov, this is the Sergey Makarov draft. Oh man. Bob Probert was taken in uh, in the third round. Uh, Brian Bradley, who was quite good for a little while. I remember him being uh, yeah, the on the, on the Lightning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fedosov? He was a little yeah. old by that point. Frank uh, Pitcherangelo, who you mentioned, um, Bob Essenza, uh, Darren Poopa, Mark Bergevin, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey man, hey, he played a long time in the NHL, yeah, um, yeah. There's some, there was a really strong draft, and uh, yeah. a little inch, uh, Gary Galley. Um, oh yeah, yeah, Gary Galley, yeah, I missed him. Kevin Stevens in round six. Yeah. Dave Lowry. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rick Jed- all those guys in round six. Uwe Krupp? Yeah, Uwe Krupp, yeah. Oh, man. Um, there, it's, it's a considerable list. And then a, sort of a, an interesting uh, thing about this draft, it's one of the other Hall of Famers, but he never played an NHL game, was drafted by the Montreal Canadiens in round seven. Who is this? Vladislav Tretiak. Oh. The Canadians picked him, number 138. Okay. I guess they just sort of took a flyer on him and said, yeah. like, yeah, he's older, but maybe he'd want to come over and play. And, you know, people... Clearly didn't, yeah. If you, well, yeah. I mean, you've got to remember, too, at this point, this is like... Um, they had already had that really famous New Year's Eve game uh, with Montreal when they were, like, the best team in the league playing against the, uh, the uh, Russian Red Army team. Um, and that was, like, an all-time classic game. I think it finished in a 3-3 tie, and it was just glorious hockey. And so Montreal had a real soft spot for Tretiak. So I guess they probably, I, I don't think they'd pick Roy yet. So they're like, well, let's just throw one out there and see if he wants to come over and be our goalie for a bit. So, yeah. And then uh, Vyacheslav Fetisov was taken in the next round. So this is like when they started taking a flyer on Russian players. Yeah. Just because they thought maybe one day they'll be able to come over. You know, they're just like, eh, is he eligible? Yeah. And you're like, you know what? We're in round seven or round eight. Let's just throw it. Let's just throw a flyer on him and see if he comes over. Um, yeah. And so the de- the Devils ended up taking him, and it's it's the kind of thing that led to like Bure being drafted. Nobody thought he was eligible, but he was. And it's like yeah. these players were are obviously top five picks if they're eligible, or do you actually think they're going to come over? But of course, it was such a it was such an interesting thing back then. So they they ended up uh, they ended up sort of just being like a throwaway pick, and you just hoped one day you would still have his rights when he might come over. Uh, you yeah. know. And I don't well, think anybody I, in 1983 was predicting, you know, the collapse of the Soviet Union in a, in a, within a decade. You know? No, absolutely not. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think that's definitely what happened with Hasek, right? Like, yeah, uh, he, I mean, he didn't play for seven or eight years, so yeah. presumably it was the same kind of thing. I mean, was, he was drafted 199th, so. It was, yeah. 
pretty late. That's uh, yeah. around nine, around ten. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's there's a lot of even guys who like aren't you know all stars or hall of famers. There's a lot of NHLers out of this draft. Guys like Brian Noonan. Yeah. Uh, there's Uve Krupp I just spotted. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of guys. A lot of guys. So, uh, I, I originally I set the cutoff for 1500 games between '83 and 2006 for Iserman, but only four players played that much, so I dropped yeah. it down to 1250, which is 26 players. And for that, he is. Uh, oh yeah, before we say that, Iserman was clearly the uh, has all the like counting stats for for that draft. Oh yeah, yeah, he has to. I, I, didn't, I didn't even think it was Sorry. worth bringing up because it's so yeah. obvious, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, some people might say, like, well, maybe LaFontaine or Neely, like, well, both those guys were injured so much yeah. that, and yeah. they would have had to do it for 20 seasons like Iserman did, so there's yeah. no way. Yeah, there's yeah. no, just no way. Yeah. How, uh, so, for the 26 players to play, some, play in at least 1,250 games between 83 and 2006, Iserman is uh, first in points and points per game, and he's top three in goals and top three or five in assists, depending on. Uh, Assist or assist per game, and third in point shares. So, you know that the the uh, other players who would be above him in well, assists would be uh, Gretzky and Lemieux. I assume might have played enough during that time. I don't know. Yeah. Um, or Yager maybe, or or Francis. I'm not sure. Francis, yeah, Francis actually would probably be the one one of the ones who's ahead of him in the assist department. Yeah, but anyway, he's still like one of the best couple offensive players of his era. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, his 82 game average, despite playing that whole chunk of time at the end of his career in the dead puck era, is 95 points. Wow. Plus 10. His three year peak from 87 to 90, 140 points per 82 games, plus 15. Man. <laughs> Bonkers. Yeah, 65 goals a year. That's pretty yeah. damn good. <laughs> yeah. Um. His his playoff stats are 185 points in 196 games, so not quite a point per game. But that we got to remember that most of his playoff success came later. Yeah, he didn't play a lot of games. He he played 16 games in '87. Besides that, he didn't play 10 game uh, over double digit games in the playoffs until '92. Wow, he'd been in the the league for a long time. So most of his playoff success came in the dead puck era. So it's not a surprise. But he is 17th all-time in playoff goals, he's 14th all-time assists, and he's 11th all-time in playoff points. He is also weirdly a minus 11. Really? Yeah. But wow. he was also that, minus a lot for the first few years of his Detroit playoff career. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, they got smoked in the playoffs. And, yeah. and he, I, I think he himself uh, is on record as saying that, you know, at the beginning of his career, he didn't focus on playing defense at all. He was just yeah. go and score goals. Um, and then later in his career became like an all-around player that could play in every situation. Like, like in 89. That Detroit mold. Yeah. In 89, when they, I assume they lost in the first round, he, he scored 10 points in six games and is a minus seven. Whoa. But that's, Whoa. that's the 80s, right? Like, you, yeah, I know. High scoring yeah. series and. Anyway. Yeah, you, you get your points on the power play, so it doesn't help your plus minus yeah. and yeah. your team's not very good. You've got, you know. God knows who in Nets, probably Tim Chevelday, but I'm I'm not sure who it would have been at that probably, point. Probably, yeah, yeah. But I I just remember Detroit was always like, man, their team's great, but boy, their goaltending and defense is not awesome. Yeah. 
So uh, if you adjust for era, he drops him down to a terrible 89 points per 82 games. Just <laughs> awful. Yeah. So he's still well over a point per game. Mm-hmm. Player, he was never traded, obviously. Yeah. He has won some awards. He won the Conn Smythe in 98. He won the Ted Lindsay, uh, or at the time, I think it was, what was it, the Lester Pearson? Yeah. Uh, in 89, he won the Selkie in 2000, mm-hmm. and he also won the Masterton, which we care less about. He was also top five voting, uh, top five in heart voting twice, um, in 88 and 89, and uh, he was top five in Selkie voting a further three times in addition to the year he won. All those would have been later in his career, uh, 2001, 2000, or sorry, 1999, and 1996. And then also uh, he was top five in Calder voting. He actually was second in Calder voting in, uh, in 84. Wow. Uh, behind, uh, hold on, I'm looking up. Barrasso, funnily enough. Wow. <laughs> Well, Brasso came into the league and sort of took it by storm. So that yeah, kind of yeah. Sense. Well, he won the Vesna that year too, I think. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he was a top five player multiple seasons. He was a top ten player multiple uh, four times. Uh, best offensive player in the league in 1990, according to by point shares, and top five a bunch of four times, top ten six times. Um, he was regularly uh, in the late 80s. He was regularly in the top five in terms of. Uh, Points scored uh, three times, basically, for every major category. Three or four times. Uh, he actually was more often in the top five in points per game or per game stats. I guess he must have missed some games in the late 80s there. Yeah. Um, and he, of course, uh, is one of only 12 players to ever score 65 goals in an NHL season. And one of only eight players to score 60 goals twice. He's also one of only nine, oh, sorry, 11 players ever scored uh, have 90 assists. And he's one of only five players to have 150 points. They are Gretzky, Lemieux, uh, Esposito, Iserman. Who am I missing? Uh, there's one other player. Who is it? I don't know. Lafontaine, maybe? No, he won, He topped out in the 140s. Of course. Um, I'm sure it's somebody obvious. But uh, I can't think of them right now. Esposito, Lemieux, Gretzky, Iserman. Uh, Yari Curry, maybe. Maybe, yeah, it might be. Maybe it was Curry. Yeah. Curry or Messier or maybe. Uh, no, Messi. Messier's best season was like 120. Loser. Um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It wasn't uh, Howard Chuck. It wasn't Savard. Um. It wasn't Dion. It was. It might have been Bossy. Yeah, I was just about to say Mike Bossy. Yeah, Mike Bossy. Anyway, one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, he is one of only eight players to score 130 points twice. Wow. And in fact, he's one of those. We've talked about these guys a couple of times. He's one of those players who, if you look at his single season accomplishments, he is uh, in a select group of players. But if you also extend it to um, career like number of times achieving something in a career he also is on those leaderboards so he scored 30 goals 11 times only 19 players have ever done that he had 40 assists 13 times only 13 players have ever done that 
and he had 50 points 17 times, which is only 18 players have done that. So, uh, you know, he he was good. He he both had an incredible peak and obviously had an incredible endurance. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. Somehow. To play the dead puck era and still accomplish that every year is really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> he somehow, this is this is where my comments about third team, having a third end of season all-star team uh, last episode seemed very justified. Yeah. Eiserman made, made one end of season all-star team. He was first team in 2000. Wow. He was also an all-rookie. And if you want to count that in 84, but like, okay. well, you, you know what though? It's probably, um, he played in the era when Gretzky and Lemieux were also yeah. centers. So like, how's uh, he ever going to get on that? Team? I, I grant that. But if, he, if they had had a third team, yeah. Um, he would be the poster boy for that argument. If I was going to make it again, and I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But if I were to make it again, he would be the poster boy because it's crazy that someone with a career as storied as his made one first-team All-Star. Yeah. And 2000, like, was that even a good season for him? Well, that, that was his Selkie season, so... Oh, yes, yes, you're you're right about that, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and by, by then, uh, Gretzky had retired, yeah. and uh, I think Lemieux was back and playing, but I can't remember if was, that was yeah. his first comeback or... But, but he, he might have... Lemieux would have maybe not played enough games... Yeah, and, and even then, like, Lemieux came back, and Lemieux's always Lemieux, right? Like, he's always awesome. Yeah. But maybe at that point, Eiserman was viewed as a more complete player, and, uh, you know, his team was so successful that maybe that's why he finally got the nod. Yeah, and 79 points in 78 games in 2000 is nothing to see in that. Oh, no, no, it's really not. <laughs> You're near the top, for sure. Yeah. Um. Actually, yeah, I should just see, like, what was he... Hold on. Let me just see where he was uh, in terms of points that season out of curiosity. Yeah, he was 10th that year okay. in points. So. Um, all right. And then, so, of course, he also has had some team success and international success. Uh, he, of course, uh, won a Conn Smythe in 98. Um, he also uh, won a Stanley Cup in 2002 and another one in 97. Um, I I read them off in that order because of by points at least which we don't uh, for uh, 98 97 we don't have ice time. Uh, in 2002 he was a top three forward and in 2000 uh, sorry in 97 um, he was actually a top six forward by points which is probably he was probably playing top line minutes he just presumably the opposing team was dedicating their you know putting their best. Uh, defensive line against him at all times, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, he also, uh, they, there was a runner-up. Uh, they almost won the Cup in 95, and he was top six again in points, but that's because he uh, he missed some time. He was injured part of the time there. And then um, they also made the conference finals in 96. And in, oh yeah, in 87, they also made the, made the conference finals. And on that case, he was absolutely the best player by points. And then he he won uh, gold at the Olympics in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, sure did. And then he uh, he was a role player. He was really young. He was a role player, or maybe injured on a Canada Cup champion in '84. Uh, and he had a weirdly minimal role, at least by points, uh, on the uh, on the World Cup team that lost in '96. I don't. 
I was not watching, so I don't know uh, if you. He scored. He scored the OT winner in game one. But he otherwise did not score a yeah. lot, so yeah. I don't know what that was about. Um, he actually never won a world championship, but he was on two runner-ups in '85 and '89, mm. and he won a bronze at the World Juniors in 1983. Wow. Well, it's, uh, I I think you used to you know when your team makes the playoffs a lot, you don't get a chance to play in the yeah. World yeah, but he was he was playing in the '80s, and and those teams were almost they, they were silver medalists. They just yeah. weren't. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't look up which years. Uh, I mean, aside from '85 and '89, I don't know who they lost to. I assume the Russians, because there was that those Russian teams, right? The late '80s were just yes. like yeah, yeah, yeah. They just destroyed everyone. Well, yeah, it was a it was a professional team playing amateur hockey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I mean, maybe he's in, maybe he's not. I don't know. I'm yeah. on the fence. How about you? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think I might have to give it to him. <laughs> yeah. So I one of the things I, I, I like to pay attention to when we're doing this is the length of the resume that I typed up. Yes. And his is two and a half pages. Yeah, it's long. Um, And it's just like, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it is two and a half. Well, um, if you think about the era in which he played and you try to name five better players than Stevie Y, it's really tough to do. Yeah. Some yeah. people might give the edge to Yager. I don't know that I would um, in terms of like he became such a complete player towards the end of his career. And just God, yeah. I, remember that, I remember that year they uh, Vancouver played them in round one and it was like Steve Iserman on one leg was beating us. And the, the rest yeah. of that was the year they had they bought all those Hall of Famers. And I was like, yeah. those guys aren't doing anything. Like, we've got them right where we want them, but we couldn't stop Steve Eiserman. I'm like, just break his other leg, damn it. <laughs> <Come on." laughs> like, he's killing us on one leg. How is this possible? Yeah. He was just that good. Yeah, I forgot about the one, le- the, the like, broken leg playoffs. Yes. Jesus. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. It's unbelievable. I couldn't believe he was able to play and to still yeah. play well. Uh, yeah. so- sometimes you're just that good at what you do, you know? Like, I don't. I'm not going to look good skating. I'm going to be in a lot of pain, but I'll get to the right spot and I've still got my shot and I'm going to bury it when I get a chance because this is what I do. You know, yeah. like he's just, yeah. uh, so, I mean, if you think about his era, you've got, you know, Gretzky and Lemieux. Yeah. And then after that, you're sort of thinking like he's got to be in the discussion for three, four, five. I don't know how you want, like, however you want to order it. If you want to take Jagger, you want to take um, LaFontaine. If you count, like, you know, if you don't count how injured he was, um, maybe maybe Timu Solani like there's some great players in that mix but he's he's right up there like it'd be very hard to name a top five without at least giving him super strong consideration so I mean it's it's a slam and and Lemieux and Gretzky should like just be taken out of the list and just count the other five players because they're not normal Um, so he's a fantastic player and definitely one of the best of his era and that's an era that includes arguably the two greatest well i won't say players because of bobby Orr, but I did. say centers the greatest, yeah the two greatest forwards of all time yeah so. yeah yeah uh, it's really yeah tough. yeah absolutely um yeah i mean it, he's got a ridiculous resume and the fact that he was able to sort of transition from this elite offensive player in the late 80s where he did things that very few other players i mean only only lemieux and gretzky basically did yep and then you know sort of changed his game and was able to like you said like sort of will his team to success when he was even hurt um later on in his career and and had that more complete game and stuff is yeah i mean it's very it's very impressive and i mean yeah he was i remember you know i 
I loved the Red Wings. Like I hated them in some ways because, but I loved I loved aspects of the Red Wings in the in the like um, early two thousands and late nineties. And and it just they always just seemed like they. Yeah, I know they bought that team that year, but they yes. they just like they seem to get things. Yeah. Better than everybody else. And that got even better after actually when Eisenman retired because they you know that that like that 2008 team is like my platonic ideal of a hockey team when I was watching. Yeah. But like they still even before that, it when you watch them, you know, they really just they just always seem to do everything right. And I remember like for me one of the things that I really like loved about uh, that era were the Avalanche Red Wing series. Oh my god! And, yeah. I mean, I was I was going for the Abs because uh, of Forsberg, and also I guess I was probably telling myself they were sort of a Canadian team or something stupid like that. <laughs> um, but like you know, the amount of appreciation I got for the Red Wings from watching those series, oh, you know. Yeah. Was, like it just really and and Iserman and, and and Lidstrom and Iserman in particular, but yeah. just in general, you know, it always felt like for years it felt like they were the like the organization in the NHL. Absolutely. And he had so much to do with that, right? Like he is, yeah. I mean, because because for a long time he was on them and they were a joke. Yeah. And then he like yeah he he stuck around long enough so that they weren't a joke anymore. But he had so much to do with that. He was, you know, the face of the franchise for most of that period, if not the yeah. whole of it. Yeah, and you you, you think about the, those teams that he played on, and you know, I I I you know, I'm still pretty upset about that them buying all the Hall of Famers year because I I feel it sort of got them over a patch where they should have been trending downwards. Yeah. But like the the teams that they won the cup with before that, like that was just they were outstanding and they eventually rebounded anyways and became great. I just think that being able to buy all those hall of famers and having like an $80 million salary cap when most Canadian teams had like 35. Yeah. Um, it was a little bit ridiculous, but that's just the way the NHL was then. Yeah. Um, it sort of felt like a Yankees thing. Like they're just going to buy everyone and buy themselves. Yeah. Yeah. A championship, you know, like hashtags yeah. they're holy now. This is ridiculous. Um, uh, yeah. Brett Hall. But, but you know, like the, they, they always sort of did things the right way. And then I think when Babcock left, I think that sort of changed a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I think they they inevitably hit a point where it's like Datsuk and Zetterberg are retiring, and you guys haven't drafted in the top fifteen for yeah like, they ran out of players decades. at some point yeah, so, yeah, yeah even though you keep hitting on these miracle guys like Zetterberg and Datsuk late in the rounds, eventually you got to fall apart. Yeah. And I think their their goaltending just eventually let them down, right? Um, so. But like the, the the 2008 team that you were referencing and how well they played hockey and how they, they sort of changed how hockey was played into a possession style of game. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't tip and chase. It was no hang on to the puck for as long as you can, because if they don't have it, they can't score. Yeah. And they were just so damn good at it. I mean, I, I was living in Japan at the time, so I didn't get to watch those playoffs. But like my, my brother sent me a very long email and he's like, I don't know if you've been able to watch hockey in Japan, but this Red Wings team is like perfect like oh they yeah never give up i still i still can't believe they lost in 2009 i still yeah, can't L- lidstrom was been hurt 10 years and, uh, no i know but it's still they just barely it. lost just yeah. barely um so just one other thing to mention about eiserman before we move on uh so in in his best offensive year ever um 
So this is just like, you know, because he was, he got criticism early in his career, right? That he, yeah. like, could, he wasn't a winner. Yeah. Um, and the same kind of thing has sort of been leveled at some other players we talked about. I just want to mention that in his, his best year ever, when he had 155 points in 80 games, so that is almost two points a game, which is insane. You know who the second highest scorer was on that team? Uh, Joe Murphy. No, it was Gerard Gallant. Oh, man. <laughs> and he scored 93 points. Whoa. Which is, by my calculations, 62 less. Wow. <laughs> that is a big difference. Yeah. Uh, and Adam Oates was third with 78, but he was also, you know, not, he hadn't yet turned into Adam Oates. Yeah. Anyway, I just think that's crazy. It's that just is. like, he literally did not have the, uh, it was all him. <laughs> That that's the year he won the uh, the Pearson, um, and somehow only came third in in hard voting. But that's another story. Because um, probably I'm sure Gretzky and Lemieux had even more points than Eisenman did that year. Yeah. Um, so lastly, we have Tommy Smith, a player who I think we probably should have talked about sooner. Probably. Given his uh, his rather ridiculous record and and when he was born, which is in 1886. Um, but he had such a limited uh, NHL career. That's probably why we didn't actually, why I just like ignored him initially. And and I, I mean, we're not talking about him for any connection to these guys. Uh, he never played in Detroit. Um, he only briefly played in in the states in Pittsburgh. Um, but more because he he is a little bit like Eiserman. He is slightly underappreciated absolute star. Um, and uh, and so I guess, I don't know, that's the closest thing I could come up with. And I just felt like we really needed to talk about him because we we jumped over him because he, he was a star in the NHA. He only played 10 games in the NHL. And unfortunately, uh, he totaled one point in those 20 <laughs> games. So it seems like he didn't have a great career. Uh, he was 33 yeah. So his career was kind of going off the rails. Um, however, in the NHA, he played five seasons. And is, despite only playing five seasons in the NHA, he is fifth all-time in goals, 12th all-time in assists, and sixth all-time in points. Wow. Um, so the NHA lasted a lot longer than five seasons, so that's impressive. Um, yeah. And if you set the qualifier to four seasons, which is 80 games, he's second all-time in goals per game, ninth all-time in assists per game, and third all-time in points per game, probably behind Morenz and uh, Lalonde. Yeah. Sorry, not Morenz. Uh, uh, Malone, Joe Malone. I'm sorry, Howard how Morenz is later. Um, his 20-game his average, 20-game uh, season average for the NHA is 34 points, so not quite two points per game, but a lot. Um. So he had a crazy, weird. It's 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 so hockey was so different back then. Yeah. So the PCHA was trying to poach NHA players, and so in order to avoid that, he was traded three times among NHA teams solely so that they could get him, wow. keep him in the league. They didn't care that he was on a different team as long as he stayed in the league. Man. 
which is like just weird. <laughs> so he he went from the Quebec Bulldogs to the Toronto Shamrocks, back to the Quebec Bulldogs, and then to the Canadians. Um, all all to keep him from playing in the PCHA. I don't know what like what hand he had in it. Yeah. Um, but it was basically it was something like if if like he was the like each team was eligible to lose a player, and I guess the PCHA could like have their pick. And then would probably throw money at them. So before yeah. they could do it, they would trade them to another NHL team. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know why, like the Shamrocks were were able uh, uh, to. Oh, sorry, uh, the the trade of the Canadians was not part of the silliness. It was he was actually traded to the Shamrocks twice, even though he only played for them once. I don't. It's really bizarre. They they probably they basically just traded him back and forth because they wouldn't be able to pick him if he wasn't on that team or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So they kept just saying, "Oh, so you want Tommy Smith? I'm sorry, Tommy Smith isn't him. on this team anymore. We just traded him again." Yeah, yeah. He'll be um, traded back later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so he never ended up playing the PCHA, which is uh, super weird. And he actually like um, like a lot of these players. Uh, he appears to have uh, something happened to him in the war. I don't think he was drafted though, um, because he he never uh, he never actually like made it to like he didn't lose a season. It looks like for the war, but he went back into amateur hockey. Yeah. Um, so that's why he never played for the PCHA, and he was 33 by the time he got to the NHL. So I don't know. Uh, the Wikipedia article doesn't explain exactly what happened. Um, so his stats. Another reason I think why we didn't talk about him is because his stats are, are. It's it's that like star turn in the NHA, and then most of the rest of his career was spent in like like semi pro. Yeah. Um. Or, or early pro league. So he was, you know, he was in the Ontario Provincial Hockey League or Professional Hockey League, which was like a minor pro league, I guess, or, or pre-NHA pro league, um, where he scored 63 points in 33 games. So, you know, Pretty that's good. good. <laughs> um, he was in the, uh, the International Professional Hockey League, which is an early pro league, where he, uh, he scored 44 points in 23 games, again. Not bad. Um, he was in the uh, the Maritime Professional Hockey League right prior to joining the NHA, where he uh, he scored fifty three points in eighteen games, which is that league probably wasn't very good. I'm guessing at the time. Um, I mean that's just insane. Um, and then uh, he was also in the the fabled Western Pennsylvania Hockey League, which was semi-pro. Um, and in that league, he uh, he scored 48 points in 22 games. And then he also briefly made a trip to the Temiskaming Professional Hockey League, where he scored three go- uh, three points in one game. And why he was up in Temiskaming, I think it was a contract dispute or something, and he like ran away um, because he was. That was when he was uh, he was brief like he'd gone to the Ontario Professional Hockey League, so I assume the Timiskaming thing was just someone was throwing money at him. So, um, just like last episode, we have a bit of a spoiler for old timers. 
<laughs> and this is that uh, it when we talk about the NHA and we talk about who should have won the MVP, well, Tommy Smith probably should have won it in tw- in 1913, 1914, and 1915. Man, by my calculations, he was the league leader in points per game in all of those seasons and points twice, and he was he just missed a few games in the third season, and he led the league in goals two of those times, and he led the league in goals per game all three of those times, and one and twice he was ahead by point four goals per game, which is batshit crazy. Um, he was really dominant at his peak. He also managed to score 40 goals in, in a league in the Ontario Professional Hockey League, which uh, had 13 games, which is crazy. And in the International Hockey League, which had 20-something games, he scored 30 goals. Um, he scored 50 goals in the Maritime Hockey League in 18 games. You know, he just, everywhere he went, he scored. He was a star. Yeah. So some of these were not pro leagues officially, and not, and only the NHA and the NHL were ever the caliber uh, uh, of, like, the real pro sports leagues. But, yeah. like, everywhere he went, he was the best or one of the best offensive players. Yeah, and if he, if he was able to do that in only five seasons in the NHA and still be one of their top scorers ever, I mean, you got to think the guy was an absolute stud. Yeah. No reason to think otherwise, and it's just for whatever bizarre circumstance, whether it was, um, whether it had something to do with the war, whether it had something to do with he wasn't getting the money he was supposed to get, or he needed to be closer to his family, whatever it was that he ended up playing in all these semi-pro sort of amateur leagues, he's obviously a fantastic player and one yeah. of the better ones of his era. It's it's like we, we always talk about like the luck thing, right? And no one can really predict the future. And for some reason... This guy just, he played in semi-pros until the NHA started up, and then somehow he ended up back in the amateur leagues again um, right when the NHL was forming, and I don't know why. Um, It doesn't really, uh, there's nothing in the Wikipedia page to explain why. Um, And uh, he just, had had he been in the PCHA at that point or the NHL, maybe we would have seen one or two years in those leagues too, where he was dominant before he had that, you know, that not very good season for the athletics. The other thing is he won cups. So he won uh, a Stanley cup uh, with uh, the Quebec Bulldogs in the NHA. And then he defended it because it was a challenge cup back then. Um, And later uh, on the Canadians, he, uh, he went to, uh, he challenged, he won the NHA they, their team won the NHA championship and challenged for the Stanley Cup, but didn't win that year. He, um, his Ontario Professional Hockey League team was also good enough to challenge for the Stanley Cup in, in 1911. And in 1912, on the Victorias from the Maritime Hockey League, they also won a Stanley Cup. And then earlier in his career, he w- when he was a Complete amateur player. He also was on the famous Silver 7 Ottawa Hockey Club team, which won and then successfully defended the Stanley Cup in 1906. So in addition to having the bonkers numbers in every league, regular season league, he also regu- he challenged and won multiple Stanley Cups. <coughs> Sorry. So, you know, I mean, he's got a pretty crazy resume, except for the fact that he just didn't play a lot of, like, full-on pro hockey, you know, only 93 games in the NHA. NHA. 
But I think, I mean, he's one of those guys who, like, as we've talked about, you really didn't know what leagues were going to be successful, and you can't hold that against them. And I think if you look at their career, I mean, this guy was just, he was dominant, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's like there's, I mean, while he was he was good enough that the PCHA kept trying to draft him, and the owners were so scared they'd lose him, they kept trading him back and forth. So, I mean. Yeah. I don't. I mean, that didn't happen with New Zealand and and Joe Malone to the best of my knowledge. No. Like this guy must have been. I mean, when we talk about MVPs in our in our future, you know, we're gonna go into his numbers maybe a little bit in those seasons. But like he was the best player in the NHA for three years in a row. Man. And and uh, one of the, you know, I mean, he just was. He was just really, really good, and it's, I don't know, it, it's, uh, and even when he wasn't the absolute best player, he's still, like, top five or something, but, like, it's funny, because he's just, like, this is not a guy I'd really ever heard of, um, I think, because of his success, he was just born slightly too early, you know what I mean? He's born, like, four or five years later, and, uh... Yeah. Yeah, and then maybe he has the NHL career. Yeah. Yeah, we'd all know who he is. Or we wouldn't all know who he is, but like people who pay attention to early NHL wouldn't know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Zetterberg. Zetterberg, um I'm really on the fence. I'm gonna ever so slightly nudge it to no, but I could definitely be talking to him. I'm gonna go with yes. Really? So it, now we both flip flopped? <laughs> yeah. But I'm 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 I'm, I'm amenable to people telling me no i'm just going with the whole thing like i said before he had a better like couple of years in the playoffs there than that's yeah. a good offensively so that's that's what's doing it for me but you know yeah, i can be persuaded in a cup you're yeah. you know i it's it's really right on the fence for me like yeah. I, could, I, I could be nudged either way and i think he is going to get in so i don't have a big issue with it really yeah eiserman eiserman's a slam dunk yeah me maybe, too. Maybe the strongest one we've ever had. I don't know. <laughs> so far, yeah. I mean, I, I, or maybe I him would be Jagger, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah, him and Jagger. And uh, I'm trying to think. If we've talked about it. anybody else who was this? Oh, Lidstrom. Uh, oh yeah, Lidstrom. Yeah, yeah. We talked about Lidstrom. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's basically it's it's those couple are the most slam dunk we've ever talked about in terms of um, recent players, anyway. And then Tommy Smith. Tommy Smith gets a yes. Yeah. Uh, for me, he's... This is, like, if you're going to honor the, like, pre-NHL players, he's one of those guys you really have to uh, focus on because, you know, he was, for a time, for a few years, he was... It was probably him and Cyclone Taylor in those couple years where he yeah. was the best player in the NHL between who was the best player in the world. So, I mean, that guy's got to be in the, in the Hall of Fame, right? You would think. Yeah. All right, so uh, thank you very much uh, for listening, everyone, and we will uh, see you soon. Take care.